We see it all the time. Businesses ending in a media storm because the legal didn't comply with the rules of the society. In this episode, I sit down with Stuart Thompson, head of public affairs at B2B Pitmans. He advises big corps as well as charities on how to stay within the rulebook and create a clear communication strategy, ideally preventional, but sometimes he is actually facing having to perform a complete reputation rebuild when things has already gone wrong. In his own words, no matter who you are, you got to play within the rules and always stick to the truth. Right, on with the show. From Studio Roo, I'm Jesse Fram, and this is Bosses for Breakfast, a show where I invite inspiring visionaries and leaders in for a talk about business, branding and communication, and together we gather insights into what makes a difference in the learnings they're bringing forward today. And we're on. Hello. Hey, Stuart. Thanks for thanks for coming this morning. No, pleasure for the invite. Thanks very much. Did you have a morning routine you managed to go through before running after the train uh, to here? Yeah, the, the, the tube and the walk to here was uh, a, a bit of strenuous exercise first thing in the morning. But what I, what I try and do, I mean, we've got three kids, so I do try and have some sort of family time in the mornings if we can, or sit down together and have some um, breakfast. If I've, if I've been really, really uh, conscientious, that I may have got up earlier and gone for a little run, but that's apart, apart from that, it's all... Busy family life, breakfast, out, yeah. drop the kids at school. Yeah, get it's the other ones packed out. Yeah, ambitious with runs in the morning, I think. It's uh it doesn't happen all the time, it must be said. <laughs> <laughs> Especially at this time of year when it's a bit chillier and a bit darker in the mornings. Uh, it makes it harder. So tell me a little bit more about you. What's your career journey been and what do you do today? Yeah, well I'm the uh, head of public affairs at BDB Pittman's, which is uh, a law firm, but I head up the public affairs consultancy that they do. And, and um, public affairs really is all about helping clients engage with political audiences. So helping them to get their points of view across and influence public policy decisions. Um, and that's everything from that direct engagement with with politicians through to issues around reputation management. So media relations, crisis management, uh, helping organisations work with their uh, wider stakeholder group as well, because that all impacts on on the politics side of things as well. So I do that for all sorts of organisations, public sector, private sector, charities, uh, you know, in particular in, in recent years, as well as the reputation issues have become more important to them. Uh, so that's that's sort of, you know, what I, what I do. It, it often, dealing with politicians can be you know, in some people's minds, a little bit difficult and a little bit, you know, um, challenging. So hopefully we make that a little bit easier and, and to get that public policy influence, really. Yeah. Is it different working with um, repetition issues for politicians versus big organisations? Yeah, the pol- I mean, the politicians themselves, I mean, I've, I've never worked for any other political parties, so I, I, I haven't dealt with the sort of the political side of, of, of that, if you like. So this is all about um, clients. This is all about people that come to us and say, look, we've got a particular issue that we need to get government to think about or government are thinking about doing, you know, making a particular change. How best can we get our point of view across to them? So that's that's certainly the, the perspective that I've and the work that I've always done. Um you know, reputation is all about what people think of those organisations. I mean, that's that's you know very very simply, but but that that is the bottom line. Um, but to be able to do that effectively, you know, organisations need to think about sort of who they are, what they do, and and have to have a level of honesty about themselves and their actions as well, because it's it's where they effectively it's when they say that they behave in a certain way or or, or act in a certain way or or 
sign up to a particular code of ethics or something like that. And it's when they move away from that, that's when the reputation really impacts. And, and you know, why the politicians are particularly important is that they can actually do something. They have the levers of power. So if something really does go wrong, to have a politician stand up and, you know, damage the reputation of an organisation is is certainly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they can also try and move government against them. So new regulations, new laws. So that situation becomes even worse. And unfortunately, when we're often thinking about reputation, it's in terms of, I don't know, sales or, or you know, very bottom line type things. And, and, and the political influence and, and aspect... It's not that it isn't bottom line, but it may be not quite so immediate as a, as a drop in sales mm. related to a misbehaving chief exec or a, you know, a, a product that's gone wrong. So yeah. the, you know, the impact can be more, but maybe over a slightly longer time period. So that's, I think that's why they often get sort of ignored in the reputation yeah. piece and, and why I think they should be at the heart of reputation, not, not as a playing second fiddle, fiddle really. Yeah. Yeah. So are, are those all typical reputation issues and um are there are there like do you see some repetition in in what often goes wrong in organizations when it comes to reputation yeah i mean if you can't you know you can't look through the media or, or flick through twitter without sort of seeing some you know reputational damage on one organization or, or another um you know fundamentally it's about the leadership of an organization very much so are the leadership really listening to um, you know, their wider teams and are they sort of, you know, I don't know, working with the communications teams, with the lawyers, with the HR and with particularly with the service delivery side of things or, or the or the product. And when I say that, you know, they're not listening is where the reputation damage can often come in is because most organisations know where the risks in their organisations lie. Mm. They know that there is a certain thing that is you know, hidden underneath the stone that they don't really want to, to deal with. And that might be in the terms of the product or the service delivery or the supply chain, whatever it happens to be. But then they don't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know, that's dangerous in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some organisations just sort of choose not to deal with it, which is unfortunate and potentially damaging. There will always be things that come out of left field problems. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, organisations often think too much about how to deal with the crisis. So the crisis communications manual that will sit on the, the shelf and will be, you know, dusted off when something goes wrong. And, and then everybody will congratulate themselves on dealing with the crisis very successfully. Mm. And that's great. But actually, it would have been better if the crisis hadn't arisen in the first place. And if they'd listened internally and... You know, people have been sort of waving flags and, and sort of saying, look, this is an issue, this is a risk, and manage that risk properly, then that crisis wouldn't have arisen. So if there's a theme, a rough theme, I think that would be the one thing. But, you know, in terms of when you look through the papers and, and look through Twitter, it is often about misbehaving chief execs, mm. poor products, poor service delivery, or that piece around not living by the rules they've already set. So, you know, do no evil. Yeah. Well, pay your tax, you know, those sorts of things. So it, it's, it's the organisations can bring these problems on themselves if they're not managed properly, mm-hmm. if the risk elements aren't looked at. Mm. So if you have a uh, a new client, an existing client, how do you go about, I would say, I'm guessing step one would be to have a, like a chat around how to prevent issues from arising in the first place, as you mentioned. How would you kick off that thing and, and what's the process? Are there any like kind of, structure or rules that you always like look into implementing? I think what you're looking for in any client is the ability to listen and a level of honesty mm. about it. And if they're not prepared to, from the outset, appreciate that, you know, if issues need to be 
dealt with differently if they need to change their behaviour mm. to stop a, an issue, a, a crisis from happening, then frankly, you know, the best communications in the world aren't going to save them. Mm. So if you look at, for instance, the recent example of um, Uber, originally when they sort of lost their licence uh, through TfL and, and the regulatory processes, they sort of initially got the licence back to operate because the, a new chief exec came in, um, he very much took personal ownership of it, all the things that you would want to happen in a crisis, mm. that sort of level of, you know, <laughs> yep. senior level, you know, engagement. It is my and, responsibility. And, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do something about it. We will review it. We'll look yeah. at it. Frankly, we knew a lot of these things beforehand. Everybody knew that Uber wasn't a particularly brilliantly well-run uh, company because we'd seen it all across social media and other yeah. platforms anyway. But anyway, he comes in, takes personal ownership, and they change the way they communicate, they advertise. You can see they talk about responsibility a lot more, mm. safety, etc. All the things that needed to be addressed. And yet, very recently, they look like they might lose their license again. And certainly that seems to be the decision. And I think that shows you that, that you know, as far as the regulatory system um, mm. that they have to operate under uh, considers them, they've still got work to do. Mm. So, you know, it is... Uh, you know, actions speak louder than words. The actions have to be right. The what the organisation does and delivers um, has to be bigger and better than the communications, however good the communications are. So, sorry, that was a really long-winded no, no, answer, no, no. sort of saying that when you first talk to a client, it is about that level of honesty and openness, and then working across teams as well. So, a level of um, you know, no, you, know, you don't want silos. You want the lawyers and the accountants and the HR and, and particularly the communications to be working together mm. to work out where the risks lie and what can be done about it. Mm. And that would mean some difficult action, you know, depending on the organisation, they might employ a lot of people at a very local level. There might be a small, you know, central team. It, it, it all varies. Each have their own challenges, mm. but you need to embed that change throughout the organisation. And that you know, brings with it a number of different communications challenges. But it's, you know, from the outset, you want that honesty, you want that ability to look and to agree to take action where it's needed. Mm. Okay. So obviously, if there is something legally wrong in an organization um, like uber has been said like now they're going to lose their license but let's imagine that it was actually fixable and now it's um the only focus are on the reputation how will you start rebuilding when it is damaged yeah so when so well yes yeah, so the action's been taken we've managed the risk organizations do it in different ways and you will see that charities will look at very often their service delivery mm-hmm. so there'll be particularly known events, that stakeholder group. And you're trying to communicate with individual stakeholder groups to talk to them about the issues that they think are there uh, with the organisation, answer their questions, open up dialogue, and just be more engaging. Mm. Some organisations will have sort of, you know, very dynamic personal CEO types that will go out there. A lot of it will deal with it around maybe thought leadership Mm. um, is another way that you know, you know, with podcasts and, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you know, blogs and, and, you know, those sorts of things to try and push themselves forward or have a higher profile, all of which is about, again, building reputation and pushing mm. the key messages, the key parts, what that organisation stands for or the quality of its service, whatever it thinks is really at the heart of its mm. reputation and pushing that out and telling the key stakeholders as far as they're concerned well, this is what we stand for. These are what mm. our messages are. So that's what you try to do. Save a number of different ways. Some might, might be more um, community-based. Yeah. 
say some some thought leadership, some personal, some have you know a bit more activist, if you like. Now, as we see that a lot with American firms, sort of activist uh, leadership teams to get involved in. I don't know the the burning of the Amazon or you know community issues, those a whole range of different things. So there's there's no one way in which you would build that reputation. Mm. That will depend on the organisation, but mm. they will each try and do that piece of communications work. Yeah. Okay. So do you have any examples of uh, organizations where you think they've done it really, really well coming out of a crisis? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the way that Starbucks, for instance, I mean, Starbucks been, you know, well under the Up cost for years. For, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but when they had the issue, now it's probably a couple of years ago now, where the the, the guys came into the uh, store in the States and were sort of racially profiled. Yeah. But what uh, Starbucks did is they then closed all their stores and put all their staff through diversity training mm. and you sort of think well okay look that would have cost them a fantastic amount of money to do that to mm. just close the stores uh, you know all uh, these are on the downsides you know it would have given their competition a, a real chance to get people's business that day and once you know somebody moves across then it's more difficult to get them back you know all those mm. sort of, you know sales and marketing type uh, mm. issues but they still did it it was the right thing to do yeah. and they needed to be seen to be addressing that particular issue so it worked very very well yeah. um and people could say actually look they're trying to do something about it yeah. so i think that's 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 a good example yeah. you know others more around crises you look for that as we've already mentioned the sort of the, the senior leadership coming out and taking ownership um so you know again a couple of years ago there was a, a, a train derailment you know with a virgin rail a virgin trains uh, richard branson comes out and you know despite being ill and full of the flu and i think he was in the far east at the time immediately sort of gave a statement, mm. took personal ownership, flew back to the UK. Look, frankly, was there anything that guy could really do about that crisis? No. Not. <laughs> and that's often the case with CEOs. Yeah. But the simple fact that this guy was coming back and yeah. being seen to take charge and be seen to doing sure, something yeah. is is very, very powerful. Um, could you almost draw a par- parallel to um, what politician does on the like, terror attacks and like they frankly they can't do anything but they can show leadership and they can show awareness and they can show that they're doing the best they can from their position with bringing the right people onto it yeah absolutely and and you you look at the best political leaders and they they do exude that sort of control mm. and empathy in those sorts of circumstances mm. again classic example being tony blair after the death of Diana princess of wales mm. you know it what seemed to be a well crafted statement but the way he delivered it and the way he looked just look completely in control mm. and empathetic he was he was very very good at that as other leaders are as well yeah. whereas you know this time unfortunately the, the recent attack in in you know in london in in recent days mm. and the trouble is because it's during a general election period you've now seen sort of the parties yeah. in effect fighting over who is to blame yeah does that fake tweet and yeah, all over the place? Does that yeah. give either of their reputations on the main, or any of the political parties, but certainly the main political parties, does that really help their reputation? I sort of think it doesn't. Yeah. You, you know, you don't play politics at these sorts of times, but unfortunately, the way that this one seems to have played so far, despite the you know the deaths of, of you know the, the people and, and and the impact on their families, friends and families, it, it still got involved in the politics. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's um? Is there a difference both in the expectation, but also in the behavior of how men versus women react in crisis and and are expected to react around it? That's, I mean, that's really interesting. The, the, as with 
the challenge with all these things is unfortunately there just aren't enough women in senior leadership positions mm-hmm. and uh, you know board positions so, so it's 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 really difficult to tell so I, I mean, if anybody has seen lots of work on this, I'm always really interested to see it. I haven't seen much on this particular issue, uh, although I did see a report a couple of years ago, which sort of suggested that, particularly in the wake of the financial crash um, in Iceland, actually a lot of female leaders took over mm. in that era, era and frankly... Put a did a bit a better job, really. I think fundamentally. I mean, <laughs> Do I'm you think to, they did? I'm trying, yeah. of, I'm trying to think of a sort of a, an expert <laughs> summary, but they were just better. Yeah. Um, but so the, effectively, you know, the men got us into this mess, and the women got us out of it. Out of it. Yeah. Right, typical. Um, I know. It, uh, so it, it, again, so the, the the evidence is patchy, or, or, or you know, hasn't really been studied as far as I'm aware very much. But, you know, female leaders do seem to have a different style. Now, that's not to say crises don't happen under female CEO, uh, you know, leaderships when they, when they are CEOs. And there is always a challenge of any CEO being believed by the media as well. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. If you've got a crisis on your hands, mm-hmm. you still have to follow the same sort of rough rules mm-hmm. of, of being seen to be in control and, and dealing with it. Whether a female CEO is believed more or less than a male CEO, I don't know. I haven't you know really seen very much on that. But it, you know, anecdotally at least, yeah. they don't seem to have quite as many problems. Now, as to why that is, Again, I don't think anybody's sort of really dug no. deep enough to, to say that. I mean, I think we can probably, you know, hazard a guess at why that might be. But I, I haven't actually seen anything sort of written down about that. No, no. It's interesting. I can't help thinking about someone like Thatcher or um, Angela Merkel, where they're very, like, uh, they're kind of masculine women. So it's, but they yeah. There's that challenge. I think you're right. And there's also, you know, the again, depending on one's view of these things, but you know, do the media accept, you know, strong men, mm. uh, you know, empathetic women sort of become stereotypes, but do the media believe female leaders in quite the same way as they believe male leaders? I, I yeah, don't know the answer yeah. to that. I don't know. But again, if you're, if you're thinking in those sorts of terms, then you'd have to think that it is a challenge. And certainly when you're talking to female leaders, you, you do have to bear that in mind. Yeah. You do have to bear in mind that the way that the messages will be received by the media, social media and yeah. stakeholders is, does, but will probably vary. We don't, we don't know it will vary, but it will probably vary. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, charities. Are there a difference? Are they having a higher stake in terms of risk than a normal organisation? Or would you work differently with a, with a charity organisation? They've got different requirements and different drivers, both in a sort of regulatory type sense, but in terms of their um, leadership structures as well, because they'll often have a CEO and a you know senior leadership team, but also trustees as well, which mm-hmm. sort of you know, have to be involved and have specific responsibilities as well. So I mean, I'm I'm quite lucky. I work with a, some leading charity lawyers, so they can That's you know good. keep me on the straight and narrow when it comes to you know charity <laughs> issues as well, which is which is fantastic. That's good. Um, but I mean, I. What charities really noticed is that they are as much in the firing line as corporates. Yeah. And that wasn't the case, you know, up until well, probably a little bit of time ago now. But, you know, that, that it has been shifting and changing. And we've had some really high profile charity issues in recent years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, when you, you know, when the media digs away at them, they find out it was like, well, actually, some of this stuff was known about, not dealt with. These are all the allegations that float, float around about them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so it goes back to that earlier point about, you know, a level of honesty and a level of transparency. I mean, I think there's a that's probably another key phrase, particularly where it comes to, to charities. How are they raising their money? What are they doing with it? Um, how are they spending it? What are they spending it on? That maybe corporates don't have in quite the same way. Obviously, they have annual reports and those sort of things. So it's not that they, they can't, you know, yeah. they can, you know <laughs> completely uh, you know, get away with it. Yeah. But again, the level of expectations around charities is, is charities are different. They also seem very vocal at the moment in many aspects. I know there's always been charities around, but they seem they're really in the media at the moment. Yeah, I think they're partly in the media. I mean, they have to be, again, uh, legally, they have to be very careful about how much they get involved in election times and campaigning and what they say politically. Mm. So that's that's a, a huge element. But I think you're right. I mean, a, a lot more are prepared to have a profile. Now, mm. you know, whether that profile is to raise funds, that can be a, a reason why they have a, a higher profile. Mm. Uh, it could be partly about lobbying. I mean, mm. if you want to say what a lot of what I do about public yeah. affairs is lobbying, I, I, I have no problem being called a lobbyist. Um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, so some of it might be around dealing with politicians and, and politics to, to try and get some sort of public policy change. So the why they've got their profile will chat will be you know will vary between the organisations. <sighs> But yeah, they do they do have a higher profile, and when they with the higher profile comes the level of scrutiny from the media that maybe wasn't there in the past as well mm. and you know charities know this charities know that they're operating in a very very different position you know when you're oxfam or save the children or rnli or any of those sorts of organizations now that you know that whatever you say and do um or the people that you work for you do or volunteers again volunteers the, the whole issue of volunteers is is you know really quite different for a charity than it would yeah. be for a for a corporate sector mm. corporate sector you employ somebody You get, you, get paycheck, you can get rid of them. It's not quite that straightforward. Again, take you some good employment advice, but you know <laughs> you, you, you have some you have some levers that you can pull. It's not that the charities can't do anything with their volunteers, but it's different, and 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 you have to worry about the impact on other volunteers if you don't, you know, if you seem to be too heavy handed or not take action, or if you don't take action, then what happens to the fundraising side of things? So it's 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 quite a complex and balanced set of requirements. Uh, which vary, but fundamentally, you know, a reputation is a reputation yeah. and has to be defended. So that that central core, if you like, doesn't change, but the elements that make up that do. Yeah, I imagine you can't distance yourself from individuals when you come when it comes to charities. Like it's more or less based on anyone who's believing in in this vision can kind of join it. But um, that also means individuals can take some actions and. They might not speak directly from the organization, but because they're associated with that charity, it might come out as it's absolutely, part of that. yeah, yeah. But if they they might be voluntary to deliver a service, they might be voluntary. They might be serving in a shop, or you know, yeah. all, all sorts of different things that these people do for, for charities. Mm. You know, and ninety nine point nine percent of them are brilliant. Yeah, yeah, of course. Whereas with any organization, there will be a couple of people that don't behave in quite the right way, or or don't deal with the members of the public politely or nicely, or you know, a whole yeah. range of different things. So it, ha it has changed. I think it's the, challenging. Yeah, it's challenging, and, and uh, they but they do worry about their sort of position much more now, yeah. um, and are much more aware. So that's the really that's the you know that's the that's the great part the yeah. fact that they're aware of it. So then they can do something about it. I think for a long time, it was very much corporate sector. They can deal with that. It's not something that affects us. And I think the first few sort of scandals that came through scandals in speech marks that came through came as a huge shock to not just those concerned but the sector as a whole 
Now it's just the, you know, the environment in which they have to operate, in which they have to, to live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just um, uh, last question. How do you, do you see any change in coming up in terms of um, risk management for organizations and individuals? Are there certain trends in the environment um, in terms of where we're moving that you are starting to take into consideration in the work you do and you might be able to advise organizations about considering as well? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it's, it's a total cliche to think about the social media yeah. side of things. So I'll I'll avoid the cliche, but I've already mentioned the cliche. Um, but I think you know, with that and with any any channel that is used, what, one is uh, there is an issue about not just being obsessed by the bright shiny new thing. So everybody uses the social media. Everybody wants to be on social media, mm. but actually, if your audience isn't there, then it's I'm not sure utterly pointless. I may be overstating that slightly, but you have to ask yourself why are you actually doing these things. So I think we we have to move away from just the sort of the the thoughts about the channels themselves, mm. and more nowadays about the not the quality of what's being said, but I suppose being less corporate about the whole thing, mm. a bit more honesty, a bit more transparency. All these things are coming through even more, mm. you know, in recent years. Uh, but that level of authenticity. So, you know, if the chief exec or whoever stands up and says that the organisation is going to do something, they do do it. Look, and don't just take our word for it. Here's the here's the transparency part of that as well. Here's here's the proof. Here's the evidence yeah. that goes with that. So, I think that's the bit that is is coming through even clearer nowadays, and, and is and will be the focus of of, of of efforts sort of over the coming years. Um, is look how do we prove that how do we how do we prove what we're saying mm. how do we how do we deliver that transparency uh, you know and how do we le- rely i suppose maybe less on some of those social media channels and and others and think more about how we maybe communicate directly so i think there's mm. going to be a, a, some some discussions around that as well but but transparency yeah. how do we how do we prove ourselves I think that's the real that's going to be the real driver over the next few years Thank you very much for coming. No problem. Delightful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Buzzes for Breakfast are hosted by me and produced by Studio Roo. If you like our show and want more exciting stories like this, don't forget to follow us. You can get all episodes for free on any of your preferred podcast services. 